Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everybody. Today, I have the privilege of having Vijay Ketarpal with me today. Vijay, welcome to the program. Thank you, Amar, for having me. Glad to be here. You know, what's kind of interesting is, you know, sometimes, you know, we don't promote ourselves really effectively, but our spouses do. And the reason we're sitting here is because your lovely wife had told me this story that you had made a promise to yourself that you're going to do a certain amount of presentations in front of customers every day, no matter what. And there was a snowstorm and there was... So you decided to walk to the firehouse and they were trapped in the firehouse so you could do a presentation. Tell me about that. That's a super impressive. Well, thank you, Omar. Just a minor correction. It was actually a very rainy night, cold night. I don't right. know if it was snowing that heavily, but it was probably about 9.30, quarter to 10 at night. And I hadn't met my quota of the number of people I had to see every day. Yep. The question was, how do I find someone who could listen to what I have to say? At that point, I didn't really care what they decided. I just want to make a presentation. At bats, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so uh, while I was driving, and at that time I had to live uh, at a place that was close to a fire station. I noticed the fire station was still open and most of these people who are volunteers are there. So I decided to stop there. And since they didn't have any emergency, they were happy to talk to me. And I basically talked to them, and I left. But I was happy when I got home that I did put myself in front of the required number of people that day. And how many people per day was it back then? This is back in 1984. Mm -hmm. And I think back then I had decided I would put myself in front of 8 to 10 people a day, depending on the day of the week. Which is huge. Yes. That's quite an undertaking. Yeah, because I, when I first started, I had no clients to service. I had no uh, material to really study. All that I had to do was see people. So therefore, in the beginning, actually, you see more people in a sales career than you do over time. Right. One of the stories that you told me a while ago was one of the giants in your industry, which is uh, in the financial services industry, that when he started working, somebody lied to him and said, if you don't do this number of appointments per day, you're going to be fired. So tell us about that story. Then we'll kind of tie both together. Sounds good. So basically, uh, in 1984, I met somebody in the insurance business, the life insurance business. And when he started in the business... And what was his name? His name was Benjamin Ritter. Benjamin Ritter. Yeah, tell us. So when Ben Ritter started in the business which obviously many years before I did because he was several years ahead of me, he was made to understand that his job was to see X number of people and make X number of sales every day. So he truly believed that his job was to sell a life insurance policy every day. Yep. And if he did not essentially see uh, sell a life insurance policy every day, he was potentially going to be fired. Right. And so he commented to me in one of the meetings that I met with him 
that he felt he had a gun against his head and that he had to make a sale every day otherwise that gun would go off right and he evidently took it so seriously that after a few months of that uh, seriousness towards sales and making a life insurance sale every day and he didn't it didn't matter to him how big or small it was or what kind and he also ended up buying some policy on himself or his own family just to meet that requirement of one sale a day right but what the best part of it is that after several months of doing that it became a habit that he could not get out of so then when i met him at that time he had been in the business 23 years and for 23 straight years he had a sale of a life insurance policy every day which is brilliant and the reason i wanted to kind of open up this conversation with that is oftentimes people come into any sales job and they want to just get through the basics so they can develop bad habits and success always comes down to doing those basic things consistently religiously and if you do that you're going to be successful and if you start getting some sales then you start going you know hey I'm smarter than what other people are doing I'm going to do it my way oftentimes they can do okay but they never achieve greatness uh, your thoughts on that statement Yeah so uh, what you're really alluded alluding to is and I can certainly speak from my experience of 37 years that the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary yep okay and success in sales is actually amazingly simple but that doesn't mean it's easy it's work but it's simple it's see the people if you see enough people talk to enough people and you are consistent with it then success will follow so i'm absolutely convinced that no matter what kind of sales people are in they first must be convinced themselves right. that what they are selling is truly valuable because nothing is as effective as conviction right and conviction convinces and it provide the momentum the drive and the fearlessness that's necessary to go out there and talk to people or companies and say this is a good thing for you because of whatever the reasons are and if you do that enough time it's only a question of time before success results absolutely so i want to kind of deconstruct what you just said uh i got a chance to do this uh fun activity for uh the national kidney foundation we rappel down a building and so you know it's all fun and games when you're thinking about it you know i'd like to do that i'd like to support the cause and then i got up on the building and i got to the edge of the building and then i it, it occurred to me that i don't know these people that are harnessing me up but the only reason i trust them is cuz i trust the executive director of the organization and i'm leveraging her trust to these people that have my life in their hands and what you described with conviction is sometimes the customer needs to borrow your conviction your confidence as a salesperson to allow themselves to make the decision and many times afterwards they go oh, thank god you sold it to me because it made a big difference for us because my inclination was not to do it that's true in fact put another way sales is a transfer of enthusiasm mm mm-hmm. 
And if you have enthusiasm and you're able to convey that, that is basically half the battle. Right. Because if you come at the uh, proceedings with self-doubt and the thoughts and beliefs we have around money ourselves, because you've probably seen people you know, in your career, salespeople that are prejudging what a customer can buy and can't buy. Well, that's going to be too expensive. And it's like, who are you to, that's your stuff, dude, not their stuff. That's true. And I can speak for my industry, which is the financial services industry. I can certainly tell you from personal experience that very often, particularly newer salespeople, will underestimate the needs and the capabilities of their prospective clients. Mm -hmm. And as a result, consequently, they'll sell themselves short and certainly their clients may potentially be short as well in terms of their needs. So, giving an example of the life insurance industry, there are a lot more people willing and able to buy a million dollars or more of life insurance than there are life insurance agents with the guts to ask them to buy it. Right, and why do you think that is? What, uh, and have you ever come across someone, don't name names, that had that affliction and uh, that you helped guide them to greener pastures? Yeah, over my 37 years, I've actually worked with other producers and I mentored them and so on and so forth. So I have been able to get them through simple exercises to think bigger. Can you give us an example of one of those exercises? Absolutely. So, for example, if I met somebody for the first time, mm-hmm. they may not have the um, confidence in revealing sensitive confidential information to me. Yes. Uh, but I want to just get a gauge for what their needs might be. I said, okay, let's, let's say I'm talking to you. I said, Uma, you don't have to tell me this, but take a piece of paper and write down in numerical terms the amount of life insurance that you carry. So, for example, if you had a million, you would write one zero 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 zero. Yes. And then I said, take the last four numbers and cut it out. Mm-hmm. And what's left? Going back to the million dollar example, if you cut out the last four zeros, what's left is one zero zero. Yeah. I say you double that. That's two hundred. Yeah. Right? So that amount that you just calculated, that's the amount of daily income your survivors will have if you were to pass away prematurely today. Is that enough income to support the lifestyle that you've grown accustomed to? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then they probably do have enough life insurance. If the answer is no, which is in most of the cases, they have insufficient amounts of life insurance. Right. So in this 60-second exercise, I was able to determine or help them recognize whether they have adequate insurance or not. And I think that's a really, really important point. It's like you telling people doesn't make a difference. Getting them to get the epiphany and go, oh, my God, uh, is is huge, right? Yeah. So that's one example. There are, of course, many others in the financial services industry. There's also a technique from The Godfather, the movie. I'm not sure if you saw it. It's like uh, either your signature or your brains are going to be on the contract. No, we won't go there. So what's been your biggest challenge? You've been selling for a while. And you're, one of the things that uh, I've noticed is you are addicted to learning. You're always feeding your mind. You're always going to conferences. Uh, you're one of the elite 
people in your industry. So what is uh, a shortcoming that you've come across in the last year or two saying, you know, I really got to work on this? Like, what have you been working on recently? So, you know, you never stop learning. Life is a lifelong school. And in sales, particularly in sales, you want to continually differentiate yourself from the competition. Yes. Because that's the edge. And so I spend a lot of time educating and preparing myself to be on the forefront of what's happening in our industry. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter what kind of sales a person is in, if they continuously improve themselves to be able to distinguish themselves, differentiate themselves from their competition, they'll have an edge. Yes. So uh, in 37 years, I've seen many challenges. Right now, for example, is I see that I need to get better in the prospecting game, if you may, within the social media circuit. Yes. Okay. So, uh, for example, when it comes to developing clients, uh, sources of clients from uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram and whatnot, that is not my forte. I'm not good at it. And we're not going to use TikTok. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But my point being, that I don't have to know all that. Yes. I have to then get myself surrounded by a team that can do that for me. Of course. So that is my challenge. That's what I'm working on currently. Is find the right team. Find the right people who can help me with that. I'd put a $100 bet on the table right now that if we go to people that are elite in sales, whatever industry they happen to be in, one of the common denominators is that person is looking for a way to get better at what they do. They're always learning. I was at a client site uh, talking to the salespeople. And when I'm talking to the managers about the salespeople, it's like, oh, yeah, Jane needs to be more confident in these situations. And Jack needs that. When I was talking to the salespeople, no, no, everything's fine. I am doing perfectly well. And you can just see. And they may believe it, may not. But what's happening is one of two things. Either they don't believe it or they feel if they reveal their shortcoming that I would think less of them. And one thing that uh, people that are at the top of the field do also is very transparent. It's like, you know, hey, I'm spectacular here. I need to get better. I need to learn social media or I need to learn this or I'm looking at psychology. So that thirst for learning and one of the ways to learn is to teach. And one of the ways you're teaching is you're writing a book that's getting to the close to completion. What's the book about? What's it called and what's it about? So uh, obviously the book is about financial services industry and how we can help optimize client outcomes finance, yes. in a financial sense, uh, not only now but over time, both for small business, non-profits, as well as individual clients. And the message here is that 99%, if not more, of the clients that come to us mm-hmm. already engage in a financial or an insurance advisor previously. Yes. So the logical question is, why do they come to us? Mm-hmm. And the reason they do is because there's something that we do, or something that I made them aware of, that the prior relationship did not bring to their attention. Yes. And, and the reason they may not have brought to their attention, either they were not aware of it, or they did not care to provide the level of 
consistent service and keep their clients up to date. Mm-hmm. So in sales, there's only one way you coast, and that is you coast downwards. It's all downhill. Yeah. So if you want to be successful, you have to get to the point where you are almost comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yep. Okay. And that is where the growth comes from. And so for me, it has been writing this book. I've never done a book before. It's been a lifelong dream. And with the COVID situation, it gave me the opportunity to spend some time doing that. So I'm putting the finishing touches on it, and then I'll have to send it to my legal and compliance team, and hopefully they'll, you know, okay it, and we'll have it out in the public domain within two months' time. Nice. One of the things, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about the book is... In our society, in the U.S. especially, but all around the world, there are many topics we can talk about, but people don't talk about money. And people have a bad relationship with money. When I'm doing a workshop, sometimes I'll get two flip charts. Uh, I'll have a green pen ready, and I'll say, please finish this sentence for me. Money is, and someone will say energy. I'll write it down in a green pen on the green flip chart. It's power, it's freedom, and you get these beautiful words. And then someone says, root of all evil. I get the red pen on the red flip chart and write it down. Causes fights, uh, stealing, and the list of negative things is huge compared to the positive. So that's what's happening in our society. So not only do our customers have money issues, but our salespeople also have money issues. Uh, Like if a salesperson thinks $500 is a lot of money and they're selling a $100,000 solution and the customer says that's way too much money, they go, oh, you're right. I better give you a discount. And so so how do you propose that we build future generations that are more comfortable with money that is just a tool and we don't have to be scared of it? Or is any thoughts on that? How do we help yeah, society so, uh, with money? It's interesting. A number of things. First of all, I believe money is what money does. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's a means to an end. I also believe that Unfortunately, in schools and colleges, there has been a lot of education about math and science and so on and so forth, but there has been insufficient amount of education on how to do simple things like create a budget, stick to it, and so on and so forth. So too many people in our society are stressed about money, in part because they have student loans or too much debt. But without talking in detail about the solutions, what I tell people is nothing to be afraid of. We can master the circumstances and we can improve the outcomes. However, in terms of salespeople, they often sell themselves short and most salespeople get into the discounting game where they're basically cutting prices just to win a customer. Yes. And I say, I don't want to have a race to the bottom. I want a race to the top. And I'll give you a great example. Three years ago, for the first time in 37 years, I made a decision that I will not take on a new client who did not pay us a fee up front. Right. And the reason I made that decision was because, first of all, it separates us from other salespeople. Mm -hmm. Secondly, in the past, I had given a lot of good advice to people and did not get paid for it. In some cases, not only did I not get paid for it, 
but the people after taking that advice did not implement it which is worse and the reason they did not implement it based on my research is because they did not attach enough value to it and the reason they did not attach enough value to it guess what is because they did not pay for it i right? think that's very true so therefore once i've started to charge fees i tell you what's happened we are attracting better quality clients once they pay us a fee we deliver them a customized solution for implementation and we follow up to make sure that they implement it mm-hmm. and then when they implement it they get the outcome they want and then they give us referrals to other clients who are like minded the point i'm making is when people pay for your service they are more likely to implement your recommendations so don't cut yourself short in fact you can be you know it's more lonely at the top so think of it this way right uh, so if you if you are different than the vast majority of people and you're charging a higher fee when you are given an opportunity to explain why you are charging that higher fee to a prospective client you just need to have a damn good answer as to why that client should pay that fee and if you have that answer then not only are you going to get a lifelong client but you're going to get others like him and basically you want to clone your best clients you don't want to clone your worst clients absolutely i'm not sure who said this but it was uh, one of the gurus in our space it was like you know what i don't care what you're charging right now just add a zero to it and for a lot of people that gives you a heart attack it's like oh my god but it's true if you ask true. and it'll uh, get people that really want to work with you as opposed to uh, you do a bargain price and then there you get more complainers and you get happy customers yeah true so vj before we uh, part company today for sales people whatever industry it is if you could give them three pieces of advice to build a successful career what would those three pieces of advice be okay so first of all the most important thing that you got to do is to protect the five inches between your ears Mhm. You got to protect your confidence. Yes. Okay. So you got to be selective about the kind of inputs that you have into those 5 inches. Because if you take care of the inputs, they'll take care of the output. Yes. Okay. And that means listening to the right kind of uh, speakers and ideas, uh, reading uh, and having uh, positive affirmations that can keep you in the right a mind framework makes you more resilient uh, resilient right so that's number 1 you got to protect your confidence mm-hmm. number 2 control the controllables In, meaning meaning that no matter what kind of sales you have you cannot control how somebody will react to your presentation right but you can control what you say in your presentation how many presentations you make who you make the presentations to all right and number 3 strive to get 1% better every day and the, when i say that what i mean by that is that if you and i were to get into some activity mm-hmm. that would increase for example the number of people we call by 1% next week that by itself doesn't mean much it's almost like saying well you know 
this week I want to make a commitment to lose weight, but you know, I'm going to have my hamburger just now. Well, it may not hurt you in one week, but if you try to make an incremental gain mm-hmm. of 1% every day or every week for a sustained period of time, then the results will be phenomenal at the end. So, three things. Protect your confidence, yep. control the controllables, and strive to get better 1% every day. And maybe I can tell you one quick story. Of course. That. So, a hundred years ago, mm-hmm. the British cycling team was well known for dominating world cycling. Right. And then from about a hundred years ago till about, uh, I would say, seven, eight years ago, Mm -hmm. they were practically off the cycling map. Right. Until they had a coach. I forget his name now, but this coach said, we're going to control the controllables and get 1% better every day. And he went to the little details like finding out what is the best kind of pillow to sleep on. Right. Uh, what is the best kind of ointment uh, cream to rub on your aching muscles. Mm-hmm. And these little, little details. And then they increased the activity by 1%. And he said, if we control the controllable within five years, we will win the Tour de France. They were wrong. They won the Tour de France in three years. And then at the London Olympics, they pretty much swept it, men and women. So the point of it is that you got to control the controllables. Yes. Another great story, Alter. You heard of a guy called Jesse Hitchler? Yes. Okay. He's the guy who founded Marquis Jets that later on was called NetJets. Yes. And he sold that company to uh, Warren Buffett. But what's interesting how he gets started. So when he had the idea with his team, his partners, to start Marquis Jets, he had less than $10,000 in the bank. And back then, you didn't have the connectivity and the resources to find out where do people who take private jets congregate. Right. Or how to reach them. And he had $10,000 and he had to start a company and That's nothing. all that. So finally found a lawyer who could get him a, uh, who was specialized in the FAA to create the company name. And they created the company and all of that, the business plan, but they had to find a customer. So to find a customer, Jesse Hitler found out that once a year there's an annual conference of these people who take private jets. So he goes to that, he he didn't have admission to the conference, but he goes to where the conference is being held. Right. And he's not allowed to get in. Because it's all security and you know, you've got to have all these credentials to get in. But he flew a long way and his goal was to get a customer. So he's sitting in the coffee shop and he noticed 
that every couple of hours there are all these guys coming with their credentials into the coffee shop to get a whatever coffee and muffin or whatever right and he realized that they were on a break from this conference so what he did was the next morning he gets up at five he goes to the coffee shop and he buys every single muffin so later that day when these people are taking a break and they come to that coffee shop and they say I'll have you know whatever a latte and a, muffin. a latte and a muffin they said well you know you can have the latte but we're out of the muffins and just outside that Jesse had his presence with all his muffin collection and he said I understand you're ordering a coffee and you know uh, they don't have any muffins you know why don't you take a muffin from me and he engaged these people in a conversation one of those people that he talked to that day was someone who was thinking about starting a company like Jesse had already started and so he connected with him in a informal basis he did not obviously attend the conference but right. they made the connection and from that point forward the company was launched so the point of it is that goals are not negotiable the strategy may change the tactics may change but the goals are not negotiable this was a brilliant conversation bj thanks so much for sitting down with me absolutely thanks for having me here and happy to come back anytime you want me take care brilliant if you enjoyed this episode please go to itunes and leave a five star rating and if you're looking for more tools go to my website at nolimitselling.com i've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results 